It is Wednesday, November 3rd, 2021. This is Messiah Matters number 363. In a surprise construction twist, I actually enjoy mudding and taping. My name is Caleb Hay. <laughs> and I'm Rob Van Hoff. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was going to say, I don't know. I'm, I'm just going to... I watched this uh, speech from the new lieutenant governor of Virginia this morning, and it made me tear up. Yeah. It was like a good thing. Good. Uh, welcome to everyone in our uh, in our chat room. I'm just I'm doing a quick read of the uh, of the of the comments. Um, so, Sean Fisher, first of all, I received your uh, your email. And we will talk about that at some point. He says, major prayer request, Andrew from be, uh, from Beginning of Wisdom. And that's the gentleman that I went on his uh, YouTube channel. He strongly opposes uh, Christians keeping Torah. Uh, but he's a, a brother in the Lord and uh, certainly a, a, a wonderful person to talk to. I had a great time talking to him, actually. He says, um, oh, they lost their daughter. What? His daughter died. Wow. Was she sick, or do we know? Do you know I don't know, do you, Sean. If you have any uh, information on uh, what happened, please uh, put it in the uh, in the uh, chat room. That's horrendous. All right. Well, we'll keep him in our prayers. Him and his wife for sure. Um, okay. Well, that's a that's a hard blow to uh, to start the show with, but uh, we'll uh, we'll continue on. Let's see here. I need to move you, Rob. Rob, how you doing, man? How's life? Want me to move over? No, 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 you're fine. Don't move. <laughs> What's going on? How are you? Boy, that's a that's a heavy hitter. That is a heavy hitter. Yeah. Lord, bless them, comfort them. Yeshua promises he, bless those who mourn, they shall be comforted. Yeah, no doubt. Um, okay, well, uh, let's move on. And let's see what we uh, what we got here. We have. Uh, well, you asked me a question, though. You asked me a question. Yes, I did ask you a question. I've been preparing because I've got the two SBL papers coming up. Correct. And I'm going to be giving them both virtually, so which gives me the opportunity to actually this year I think is the first time for SBL for those virtual participants, I could actually create a 20 minute video, and just make it the way I want it it and submit it. And then what they do is so I'd still be there. They'd play the video and then I'd be there for the Q and a, um, afterwards. So, but I, it takes that edge off, you know, when you, I don't want it to, I think I'm going to go for a live presentation. I mean, it'll be virtual still, but I'll have a PowerPoint to go through, but I've been working on that. And, uh, it's, it's on Deuteronomy 32, eight, you know, the whole dispute, the claim, that people make that it's uh, the master eats change the text. Can I vent real quick on that? I'm pushing back on that. Sure. Can can I vent real quick on that? We put out a video uh, opposing Michael Heiser and, uh, and some of his views. Now, granted I rested on, on Rob's uh, knowledge of, of Heiser's work uh, almost completely in that video. I clipped that video and we put that up as well. And guess what? Somebody took that video and posted it in the Michael Heiser fan page on, uh, on Facebook. And so if you look at that video now, it has like 4,000 views. There's like 250 thumbs downs and everyone in the comments, we have like a hundred or more comments, people saying, oh, you misrepresented Heiser. Now, we don't need to talk about this theology because we're gonna talk about this in a video down the road some ways. 
But here's the thing. As I have read the comments, I thought, well, maybe I did, maybe we did mis misrepresent Heiser. So I jumped in to a lot of Heiser's videos, and guess what? Uh, we didn't do nearly as much as we should have on Heiser. Uh, his theology is just atrocious, absolutely atrocious. That's number one. Number two, no one, no one in the comments section has been able to tell us how we misrepresented Heiser. Somebody did send us something saying Heiser doesn't believe in monolatry, but then, but they neglect to show us how uh, his his that, that, direct that, that, his direct quotes <laughs> saying that he believes in monolatry uh, pan out. Well, and his dissertation says that the author of Deuteronomy was a monolatrist. Right. So why would I have a different religion? Or how, why would I have a different faith than that of the author of Deuteronomy? Like, what? how does that edify the church? Like, if I tell you, Caleb, okay, I know you like the Old Testament. I know you like Deuteronomy. And I know you believe Moses wrote Deuteronomy. But, and I know you're a monotheist because Christianity is a monotheist religion, but I need to break something to you. The author of Deuteronomy was not a monotheist. He was a monolatrist. Okay, that's what Heiser's telling people. Right. And it's Heiser's like, wait a minute. Heiser's telling people all sorts of things. He's telling people that there's two Yodah Havaves. He's telling people that, I mean, his his uh, his work on Psalm 82, honestly, after, after watching video after video after video of him explaining uh, Psalm 82, and then also his, his work on on Christ's comment that you are Elohim, mm -hmm. I, I mean, honestly, it's shocking. It's it, it, like yeah. it's shocking how bad it is, and yet everyone says, "Oh, you misrepresented him." Show me, show me how we misrepresented him. The fact is, is that you got a, a chat room, a, a chat group that got together and decided to to thumbs down and, and comment with no real knowledge of what they're talking about. If you want, if you want to actually. Have, uh, have it's kind of funny. I'm kind of <laughs> I'm glad someone we didn't ask somebody to post that in there. Oh no, I know. Yeah, it wasn't like it wasn't like we're fishing. Like someone brought it in there, and what it, I just it kind of makes me laugh um, a little bit. But um, yeah, you know, here's here's you know, in God's wisdom, He gave us His Word. He gave us the Scriptures that. And those scriptures can be used to support different viewpoints. Like, for example, the devil, in, in our local Bible study, we're reading through uh, Matthew over this year. And so this last Shabbat was <laughs> the, the temptation chapter, you know, uh, and the devil quotes uh, Psalm 91 to Yeshua. Right. And it's like, you know, so you can have, even in the Gospels, you have Satan citing scripture to make an argument, right? Right. And the point is, God in his wisdom allows that to happen in this world. The question is, how, do, how does God also separate the wheat from the chaff? And that's where the fruits of the spirit come in. If you don't have a, a living walk with the creator of the universe in, as a redeemed soul, knowing that apart from Messiah rescuing you, you're without hope in the world. You're dead in your trespasses and sins. You know, people take that we're going to be attending SBL, right? And what is it? It's a whole marketplace of people who sell books based on interpreting the Bible. Right. There's a market there. And these and that includes everybody. That includes LGBTQ, yep, yep, that exactly. it, Muslims. The Bible is a marketplace for not only is it the best-selling uh, book. There was a funny comedian, um, who said lately, you know, like 
he was talking about Harry Potter books, J.K. Rowling. He's like, man, uh, the Bible got jealous for a while there with, with, with just jokingly because because the idea is the Bible is always the best selling book. But what's right behind that? All the books that are telling you how to read the Bible. And and so the Lord knows this. The Lord's, you know, this is let the marketplace be what it is. But those who that doesn't mean just because you can cite the Bible and that you can do gymnastics and play twister with scripture means that you know that you're speaking the truth. Sean Fisher in the chat room says I have a hard time believing that Heiser is teaching there are two Yodhevaves. He says that there's the Father Yodhevave and the Son Yodhevave. That's what I've understood. Am I wrong on that? Um no, I don't think you're wrong. I, I don't have anything handy to read, but I think it's in unseen realm and and probably plenty of his videos. One of the, one of the kickers for me, there's a Heiser video where he's teaching about the birth of Yeshua. And, and he uses all, oh, Caleb, that's one you need to read you need, or you need to watch. He, he goes, he uses this uh, software where you, where it maps the heavens and you can rewind time and see where sure. stars were at any time. And then he uses that and, and he tries to put these calendars together to say when Yeshua was born. And it's not Sukkot, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. I will see if I can find that video. Uh, and you can have a watch, but I was just like, Oh my goodness. He, he jumped the shark. Like this is the, <laughs> that's the, the old happy days. If you oh, remember, yeah. like oh, yeah. it was a dying, a dying show. And they're like, what are we gonna do? We're gonna have Fonzie jump, jump the, the shark, shark in this right. motorcycle. So it was like, that was the Heiser jumped the shark moment for me. That was just a few years back when he, when he put a date, he's got the, and the room is captivated, right? Because he has all this kind of sorcery the funny, I, I, you the, know dude, the funny thing is is that this is something that i'm trying to teach my son right now my son's nine years old now and and you know he's he's been asking really good questions since he was five but now it's like okay now we're getting to a place where you know you can start watching things that are maybe above the pay grade that you were in and but the, but then as a father it's like man there's just so much nonsense out there and the the rule that that I'm trying to teach him is if it sounds too good, if it sounds amazing, it probably is too good to be true. In other words, like as soon as something sounds amazing, and we see this with like, we see this with like Mark Biltz. Remember when Mark Biltz was like, if you take the numbering, the chapters and the verses of this oh. verse, and then you know it's it's exactly the years of I forget exactly what he was oh, doing, and, and it, like the blood moons thing. Yeah, it coincides that. with the blood moons, and you know all this stuff, and it's like, okay, well, uh, you know, all you have to do, like when you first hear it, you're like, wow, that's pretty impressive, and then about. A split second after I think, wow, that's impressive is, wait, the chapters and verses weren't added to the Bible until the it 1500s. Sells. And this is the sad bit, is the reason it, it, it sells. These people are making bank. Right. Yep. I mean, there's there, there's people out there that if, are you going to talk them out of reducing their income? <laughs> 
You think Heiser's actually doing that though? I don't. I'm. You know, here's the thing. I think that Heiser genuinely loves the Lord, and I think that Heiser is in his mind. I think that Heiser in his mind is is genuinely doing good Bible research and pushing the envelope. I think that that's what Heiser is genuinely trying to do. I don't think that he's. I I, I, oh, I believe that's what he believes he's doing. Yeah, I don't think that he's sitting there I going. I I, I got to put out something new that's going to tickle the ears. Gordon and and I think that they believe that they are advancing truth. I okay, yeah. I think Nehemiah Gordon, Gordon is fleecing the audience that that he can fleece. <clears throat> he has a very specific audience, and it's not the people who agree with him. In other words, he's found believers that are gullible enough to go that are. are oh, I see what you mean. They if, don't, if, if if he if he I feel like he's if, selling them something the church is not giving them that it, they want. He's selling something that he can't sell to other Jews. That's an interesting. That's an interesting perspective. If I mean, if if he, I mean, maybe we could say that he just found the audience that'll finally buy the the uh, the. What word should I use? Uh, the junk that he has packaged. But the scholars won't buy it. Jews won't buy it. The mainstream Christian church won't buy it. Who does he find? He finds people in the Hebrew roots movement. To me, he's fleecing an audience now. Granted, I will I will give to you that yeah, Gordon might be uh, might genuinely think well this is the only audience that will hear the truth. Okay, I I, I could accept that, but at the same time, how about it, the how about the fossilized customs uh, guy? Oh, it's, Lou White. Uh, yeah, that guy believes what he's what he's preaching. It's true too, right? Yeah, yeah. That to me, that's just a. I mean, I think that a lot of the modern day and you know I. I'm, I don't think I'm above this. I think that I too have fallen into the idea of believing and understanding some theologies that are that are not true, and I've done that ignorantly. And as I read and as I as I expand, I think every I've said this many times. I think every believer should be on a journey um, to to expand their knowledge of the Bible, like a daily journey to expand their knowledge of the Bible. So so. I think that a lot of the theologies that we've dealt with on this show have come not from a place of malice or a place of like, haha, I'm gonna I'm gonna trick all these people. A lot of what we've uh, talked about on this show has come from a place of I've found something and this is the audience that'll buy it. But but that what they found oftentimes comes from a place of ignorance. Now, with that said, um, Nehemia Gordon is an interesting case because Nehemia Gordon actually has education. Um, but the fact that he has not presented his his uh, his quote unquote findings before the scholarly review before of, the peer, the academic be, peers before right. the academic peers of like the SBL or something like that to me that says that he doesn't actually believe it. Well, he'll pre- he's or presented, maybe but it's not on I, the to- it's not on the topic that he. Yeah, maybe I shouldn't it, say that he doesn't believe it. It's that he realizes that in an, in a forum like that, it wouldn't catch weight. They would, yeah, they would, he would lose credibility. Right, exactly. If he, if, and so at Torah Resource Institute, Torah Resource and Torah Resource Institute, we, we are very open. Doctrines of grace, right? I mean, we, we, we say this is our hermeneutical orientation to the tradition, to the word of God, to understanding history. We have rigorous uh, methodology when it comes to our, the classes that we teach, we go back, direct people back to the languages so they can build competency and the basic skills. Um, so, you know, judge us by our fruit, you know, I mean, we, we also, 
Lord willing, will have a sustainable ministry, you know, right. where, where, um, but, no, you know, wait, but hang on just a sec. We, we, we also need to say this. I don't, you know, here's the thing. We've said a lot of names now and normally we try to stay away from that. Once again, I didn't even know we were going to talk. Yeah. Yeah. This isn't something we plan on talking about. Once again, I, I think it's important to note, I, and I want to make this very clear. I believe that Heiser, because he's where we started. I believe that Heiser, you know, Heiser is very well educated, much more educated than I am and will ever be. Um, he has a double master's and he has a doctorate. And Heiser is no slouch when it comes to being able to study and to understand how to put together arguments and studying. I believe that his research in his mind is genuine research that he's done in terms of expanding his knowledge of the Bible. I don't believe that he's attempting to fleece anybody. And I believe that he genuinely believes what he has put together. I just disagree with him. So that, that needs to be a very clear distinction. I also believe, that, to be honest with you, I think that we could say the same thing about a person like Lou White. Lou White, who uh, put out fossilized customs. I genuinely believe that Lou White um, loves the Lord and that he and that he believes exactly what he has written. With that said, the, the major issue I see with Lou White is that he doesn't have any education and he is essentially the blind leading the blind and he's made some major, major missteps in his writings. When you come to a person like Nehemia Gordon, on the other hand, Nehemia Gordon is well is well educated. He is well spoken. I've had lunch with Nehemia Gordon. I've had beers with Nehemia Gordon before I quit drinking. The I I mean I and the thing is is that I think that there is a piece of Nehemia Gordon that genuinely believes what he is putting out there. But I do find it interesting that the only audience that he found that will accept what he said is this kind of extreme Hebrew reader. And that Gordon is not has not yet, and maybe he will, but Gordon has yet to present his ideas before a scholarly board, which he has access to. He is presented at SBL, and he's presenting at SBL this year. And but he won't present his his positions that he's presenting to the layperson. And to me, at least Heiser has written right. Heiser has no problem putting his his thoughts out to the to the scholarly world to be critiqued. Gordon is not; it doesn't seem to be willing to do that. And so, to yeah. And, and the specific, the specific point that I'm thinking about is that that he has discovered the way to pronounce the tetragrammaton. That's what we're talking about, and that yes. it's grounded in Masoretic manuscripts, right? That yeah. and that's a core claim that has gotten a lot of traction. I I don't know how many people have contacted me over the last you know ten twenty years. Um about being excited about that, you know, what Nehemiah Gordon has found in the manuscripts, right? And it's like, huh, okay, so this is this is his, the bell that he's ringing. And uh, I think that, mo I mean, this is a great conversation because I think that genuinely most people, whether they're scholars or whether they're lay people who put out opinions about the Bible, people don't put them out just because. People don't put them out. I don't think, I, I think rarely there are some, but I don't think, I think it's rare when a person says, I'm just going to make a ton of money off these people. I'm just going to say this stuff and it's going to make me a lot of money. I think that for the most part, uh, the genuine idea is I found things in the Bible and I want to share them with other people. So I think the motive is good. Um, but I think that, uh, I think that at the same time, a lot of what we see in modern day, uh, religiosity is a a lack of discernment and a lack of ability to handle texts. Okay, 
Um, if you want to be part of the conversation, go ahead and give us a call, 253-465-3205. It's 253-465-3205. It is a comment line. It is not us. You will just talk to an answering machine. Send us an email, chagatorresource.com. It's chagatorresource.com. You can also find all sorts of stuff, including take classes at Torah Resource Institute. Go to torresource.com and find all sorts of great stuff like that. Okay. And if you feel that we have misrepresented any of these individuals. Yeah, we're, we're all ears. We'll, we'll gladly play your you know recording that you leave on the line. <laughs> and, uh, okay, um, let's get into some stuff that we actually... Uh, yeah, what were we going to talk about today? I don't even remember, seriously. Okay, so uh, Brandon wrote in, he says, can we say that the Jews re-entering Israel in the 1940s, remember that last week we talked about <clears throat> the Shemitah year and, and the fact that um, in 1948 is when Israel came into the land and that's when they started counting the Shemitah year. And I was arguing that maybe this is actually, maybe as believers we should follow this counting because it is the general majority. In other words, if we're, uh, let me kind of, I don't know if I stated this specifically, but if we're going to say that, and I say this, whether or not people, other people do or not, if I'm going to say, I'll put it on myself, if I'm going to say that, yeah, we should be following the majority calendar of the Jews today. In other words, we reckon the Passover, the you know festival of Shavuot, Sukkot, so on and so forth. If we reckon that according to the majority calendar, and the majority Jewish calendar has accepted the uh, the counting of the Shemitah year reckoning from 1948 on, then I would assume that as believers who have already accepted the majority calendar, we too should accept the majority calendar in this. That's kind of my thought pattern. I'm still playing around with this, and I'm not I'm not trying to uh, I'm not trying to be dogmatic one way or the other. I'm just I'm literally just playing around with this. So back to Brandon's comment, he says. Uh, so can we say that the Jews re-entering Israel in the 1940s was God giving them back the land as a blessing? Seems like they are far from God still. Just look at Tel Aviv, one of the sin capitals of the world, world, not to mention the fact they still deny Christ as the savior of the world. I personally, personally do not believe that the, that Israel has ever been uh, back from exile. I think that in in uh, 722, when the Assyrians came and took and took the northern tribes, and then fi- and then in 586 and 585, when Babylon came and took the southern tribes, I don't believe that Israel has ever come back out of exile as a nation. And the reason I say that is because we do not see any time since then where Israel has ruled the land without uh, another governing body. Uh, with their hands in the rule of Israel, when Israel came back and uh, and built the temple, uh, the second temple, then uh, we 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 have no evidence that first of all the Ark of the Covenant was in in that temple, or that the Shekinah, the the Holy Spirit, the Ruach, Ruach came back and filled that temple. In fact, I don't see I don't think that we see God entering that temple until Christ steps foot in it. Um, when he's eight days old, or actually it's after that, it's what, a month? It's a month old when they go and they dedicate him at the temple, right? And so that's when we see God enter the temple, that temple. And then once he is crucified, um, then the temple falls. And so I, and, and uh, this is, so I've done work on this in terms of looking at, at um, uh, John the Baptist. When John the Baptist says, uh, it says that he was going to baptize. What, is, what does he do? He doesn't just go down to the nearest mikvah, which would be right next to the temple. No, he actually goes out to the Jordan River. Well, why did he do that? 
I think it's because actually, hang on, let me see. Let me open up my notes, my new notes program that I absolutely love with everything inside of me. And uh, let's see, I think I actually have a quote here. I do have a quote. Here is a quote from N.T. Wright. This is what he says. What more precisely was that with the Exodus as the symbolic and narrative backdrop, the prophets declared that Israel would be released from the bondage that had begun with Babylon and that continued into Yeshua's own day. Nobody in Yeshua's day would have claimed that the vision of Isaiah, Jeremiah, or Ezekiel had yet to be been fulfilled. The Babylons of this world would be defeated and Israel would be free. And this real return from exile, quote marks around return from exile, that is, this complete liberation, would of course involve the return of yod to Zion. Prophet after prophet says so. Nowhere in Second Temple literature does anyone claim that it has actually happened. The prophets, moreover, interpreted the exile as the punishment for Israel's sin. The end of exile would therefore be the forgiveness of sins. It would mean Israel's redemption, evil's defeat, and yod return. All of this can be summed up in a single phrase, the kingdom of God. Now, then if we if we think of this, okay, now take N.T. Wright's quote and just think for a few minutes of what of what uh, John the Baptist does. Israel comes out of I- I- Egypt during the Exodus and they go through the waters and, and Paul calls this a baptism, that they were baptized in the water, okay? But then they come to the land and what happens? They reject it. They reject the land grant covenant. And what does God say? All right, fine. You reject the covenant, I'll kill all you guys in the wilderness, and then I'll have your, your children come in. And this is what happens. They wander for 40 years. They come back to, to where? They come back to the Jordan River, and, they, and they're a fresh new group of people. And what does God say? He says, do you accept the covenant? They say, yes, we accept all that you've said today. And then Joshua leads them through the waters. The waters of the Jordan are parted, and they are baptized into this covenant. Now, what happens? As soon as they get in, they re- they start falling away, idolatry, so on and so forth. But what does John the Baptist do? He says, prepare the way of the Lord. And he goes out to the Jordan and starts bringing Israel back through these waters again. In other words, this is a new generation. We're going to accept the covenant. Now, of course, this is a... Um, this is a nod to the new covenant, in my opinion. What are your thoughts, Rob? Yeah, back to the um, the point in the Second Temple period, like you started off with, um, the issue of slave being slaves in their own land was, I, it's even in the book of Nehemiah. Uh, he says, behold, we are slaves today. And as to the land which you gave to our fathers, this is Nehemiah's prayer, of course, uh, to eat of its fruit and its bounty. Behold, we are slaves in it. So that's early Second Temple period. The idea was, yes, the Babylonian captivity is over, but we're still waiting. We're still waiting for this promise. And of course, in Matthew chapter 1, the genealogy of Yeshua is mapped around the key, the key points is Abraham to David, David to the Babylonian captivity, and then Babylonian captivity to the Messiah, as seen as this is the logic that God oversaw, you know, in terms of historical uh, time frame for when the incarnation would be. It was precisely when uh, the Father ordained, you know, before the creation of the world. And so Matthew gives us that a glimpse of that. Uh, 
wisdom of God. Um, but and then and and it, it's true. It endures. We have you look at the Qumran text, for example, the Dead Sea Scrolls are all about the Essenes. I take them to be the Essenes. I think uh, Sidney White Crawford's book on on that is pretty much seals that deal. Um, they thought they were the ones that were going to usher in the new Israel, right? They were, they were the ones who were bringing in righteousness and justice because those priests in the temple had been corrupted and everything. Well, we know what happened with them. They died out in the wilderness, right? That, that there's, you know, they died out. Um, and we still wait. I mean, even at, and during the, the 40 days of uh, Yeshua post-resurrection, instructing his disciples every day, they ask him, is it is now when you're going to restore the kingdom okay, but to the, Israel? I agree with what you're saying, but at the same time, as believers in in Christ and the risen Lord, we have come through the river through the waters of baptism. We are part of that covenant, so we have become citizens of the kingdom, and we see the kingdom in it. I mean, we might not see it in its fullness, but we see the restoration of the kingdom unto God, right through the elect. Yeah, and, well, we and still, there's your Calvinist, but right, but we still pray. <laughs> Thy kingdom come, Absolutely. thy will be done on earth as yes. it is in heaven. In other words, there's still a gap, and we're still awaiting that that final redemption. Um, that's why Maranatha, right? right? Come, Lord Jesus. Why do we say, "Come, Lord Jesus"? Right. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Right. That is that the idea is that we're He's on His way, and the but, but then on the other end, we're talking about the modern state of Israel. There have been Jews in the land of Israel far before 1947, 1948. Sure. I mean, there were, you can look at the history. I mean, for centuries, there's been Jewish communities living and um, sustaining their their presence in the land. But this is my so that, but it, this is my point is that is that just having Jews in the land does not necessarily uh, mean that we have returned from exile. In other words, the covenant people correct. of God living in the land and having God dwell with them in their midst, that to me is the restoration of the of of the covenant is is coming back from exile. And I don't think that we had this except for one moment in time when Christ came and came into the midst of Israel. You have God with us in living in the midst of Israel. And what do they do? They kill him. And yep. and and ultimately, because of that, what happens? The temple is destroyed and the people are dispersed once again. Right. And so that's right. J- just to answer the the question straight on, I don't believe that uh, Israel has ever come back from exile. I think that they that they have started to, and I think that there's been a almost the the possibility of it, right? Um, but instead, they have they have em- embraced their own sin and embraced their own idolatry, and continue to live in that. And they have rejected God living in their midst. And because of this, until they accept Emmanuel, that's a good point, Caleb. Because it touches on a theme that we've talked about before: is uh, Israeli Jews preaching the gospel to other Israeli Jews, right? And how that has that is even muddled up because it there are concerns about receptivity among Orthodox quote observant Jews of how they're going to be received, and so you have and what it does it exposes a fissure in the church. Well, it's not the church that has the fissure; it's the ideologies of leaders within the church. It's what it, it rifts, and on one side you have oh. 
you, you be careful how you share the gospel because you don't want to offend, right? You, and the other is like more of the American evangelical, Torah's done away, we're just going to celebrate the Sabbath just so it, it appears that we are on the same page. Right. We're going to uh, observe the dietary you know, laws for the sake of appearance, uh, not because they're obligatory. And then what we'll do, once we bring people in, we'll give them the secret sauce and say, actually, we're just doing this as a strategy, right. a mission strategy. And then on the then you have the other side that's saying, no, we, these are obligatory to us. And we got to keep those Gentiles out because it's the Gentiles that keep coming in and muddling the things we got. Uh, and, and, and so it exposes the, the lack of maturity in the leadership when, when you, when it exposes that, like it was, was it God TV? And then you have the state of Israel saying you can't evangelize. Yeah. But why was that? We can kind of look at that and see the dynamics unfold and see how the different players uh, take their stand. What was that? Oh, nothing. I don't want to get back into that conversation. Okay. okay. Um, let's move on. This will be a really quick one. Actually, Christina's in the uh, chat room. She says, so like if we all started counting on the same date, nobody would be growing anything. This is in reference to the Shemitah year, by the way. Nobody would be growing anything in the same year. That seems Correct. problematic. May sound dumb. I'm not sure how to word my thoughts. Wouldn't it make more sense, for example, I bought land in 2020, so my land rests in 2027. I've also seen gender uh, gardeners and farmers give their first harvest as a sacrifice to the Lord. Thoughts. Okay, so I don't believe that this is how we can um, reckon the uh, the Shemitah or the Yovel or any of uh, any of that. And the reason why is because. Israel, whether you were on the same calendar or not, Israel all uh, celebrated the Jubilee year in one year. And right. the the uh, the command is for the land. The land shall receive its rest. And so right. what happens if Rob buys a piece of land and he works that land for six years and then he sells it to me? Now, I'm not going to let it rest for another six years. That means that the land goes 12 years without its rest. And the whole point of observing the, the Shemitah year is that God is the one who will sustain his people. It's an act of, of, of gracious kindness and a miracle of God that the people will be sustained even though they are not harvesting the land during that seventh year. So everyone right. had to be on that seventh year. Thoughts? Yeah, the passage that I would, uh, this is where the annual reading through or a triannual Torah cycle where you can really learn some of the of those passages that uh, are rare. Uh, one in Leviticus 25, uh, verse 18, it starts as you shall ob- thus observe my statutes, keep my judgments, so as to carry them out, I'm reading the NASB here, that you may live securely in the land that you will dwell in the land, la vetach, it says, which means securely. Then the land will yield its produce so that you can eat your fill and live security on it, securely on it, verse 20. But if you say, what are we going to eat in the seventh year if we do not sow or gather in our crops? That sounds to touch on what I'm hearing in the, the comment that you shared. Um, the Lord says, then I will also, I will so order my blessing. Literally, it's I will command 
I will command my blessing for you in the sixth year that it will bring forth a crop for three years. When you are sowing the eighth year, you can still eat old things from the crop, eating until the old, uh, eating the old until the ninth year when the new crop comes in. It's about miracle. It's about absolutely that security in this world is uh, contingent upon walking with the Lord first and foremost and trusting him, even for miracles. That's the basis of the seventh year. Every All Israel has to be on that together. It can't be staggered or right. on a rotational so, thing. So um, Lee in the chat room, fellow student, says uh, does not apply outside of the lands. Uh, Christina replies, last week Caleb was discussing if it did apply or not. Lee says, I know. And then um, James says, there are a few commands that are specific to the land that I am still unsure if we are supposed to keep. So, um, and Lee doubles down and says, just in the land. Okay, so uh, I held that position and I am, I'm kind of wavering on it. Um, I may have changed my position on it, I don't know, fully yet. Um, but it's worth, it's worth discussing. The, and the one question that, so I held that position up until... A week ago, <laughs> maybe a week and a half ago. Um, and so the, the question that I would have on that is, what do we do with Deuteronomy where it says, when you're in the land of your enemies and you do all that I have commanded you in this law, then I will bring you back. Does that mean that we do all or does it only mean that we only do some of? So that's kind of where my thought pattern is coming from. And the other question is, is, um, you know, in Isaiah, it says that the Messiah, that the shepherd of Israel will be a covenant for the people. But he goes on to note that it's not Israel. It's all of it's all of the nations that Christ will be a covenant for the people. Well, so if if we are then uh, if we are then in covenant relationship with God outside of the land as nations, then what does that mean for our land? Does it apply that God is, that we, uh, that we give God the land that we are possessing, even if it's outside the land. So those, those are kind of some of where I'm coming from. And I don't right. expect to change Lee's I, mind. I, the, I, and, and, but I don't think we, we can't do that as a people. There's no way to, you, there's so many things that people aren't on the same page about. And, and here's another point. If, if I don't keep the Sabbath, but I keep the seventh year, it, the seventh year doesn't mean anything. If I keep the Sabbath and the seventh year, but I don't keep the Jubilee, right? It, it, in other words, it's a it's a coherent, uh, unifying community, creating nation, create sustaining calendar, and um, and so I'm I'm all for it. If people individually, they, let's say they have land that they garden or farm. And they're convicted. They want to let it rest uh, every seventh year. And they have, let's say they bought the land. And so they work it for six years and then let it rest. And they do that unto the Lord. I think that's fine and good. And, um, but, and, and I think that that could be even blessed by God. But that is, in, in my view, that's not the same as the, the Shemitah that is done nationally in coherent uh, or in complete, uh, uh, what do you call it, synchronicity with all the people under, a, uh, because there's 
this agricultural element involves tithes for the priests. Okay, hang on just a second. All of these things are inextricable from each other. I understand what you're saying, but at the same time, if you are in the land, okay, if you're in the land and you are a farmer in the land and the rest of the nation is not keeping the Shemitah year, do you keep it or not? I think if you're in the land... Yeah, you, I would say I would say do your best to keep it. Okay, so then right there, again, it, it, it's right there, be, it, it's it replaces be, it. it. There, there, it disassociates it from the rest of the nation. If the rest it's of still the still na- contingent, that's right, that's right, because it's we're still exile. It's still an exile. That's true with every commandment. Every commandment we keep is contingent upon. It has a caveat. Has a caveat that we're still slaves waiting for the final redemption. In other words, it's it's. It's not. Yeah, I don't perfect, think I agree with It's you not on perfect that. obedience. It's not perfect. I I, I don't think all I can agree with you on that. All our all our obedience is is imperfect. I disagree with that. Until until Yeshua comes, we do not have. Well, because he 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 took it away. He took he took core elements are missing. And yeah, that but, doesn't but mean we Christ, don't. But, that, but through doesn't Christ, mean we don't pursue it. But doesn't through mean Christ, we don't our, it. our 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 obedience is perfect. Okay, agreed. But I thought we were just talking about a Jew in the land who's, who lives in the land and he wants to keep the Shemitah. I didn't know we were talking any about Jew, any, Jew, any Jew in the land who is not in Christ has filthy regs for, for works. There's they, they can't do any good works anyway. You have to do it through Christ. And so... Okay, so then, so, so, okay. So let's say a person, let's say we have uh, farms next to each other. Mm-hmm. And, but we don't keep the Shemitah. We both keep the Shemitah. We both believe in Christ, but we're using it on different years. I, I, my conviction is it's one year. Your conviction, it's a different year. For, or for whatever reason, we're not in sync. So is one of us more observant than the other? Yeah, I is mean, I of- think that this comes down to the heart issue, right? Because, and I would say, and ultimately this is where I think that, that it comes back down to the idea of a national calendar. In other words, we follow the majority in the calendar. But with that aside, God says throughout his prophets, Stop, you know, stop bringing your sacrifices, stop doing this, that, and the other, you know, I'm going to take your festivals away from you because you're not doing it from the heart. And so I think that God does see the heart when a person is contrite in heart and doing the commandments according to, to the fact that they want to follow God. This is when we see, this is when we, we see acceptable worship and acceptable praise to God. Okay. But okay. So let's say it's not even the Shemitah. Let's just say it's the Sabbath. Mm Mm-hmm. And you have three people, they all believe in, in Christ. And one person believes Sabbath is completely done away. One person believes it's Saturday. Another person believes it's Sunday. Are they all, are all those observances equally uh, uh, honored by the Lord? I mean, that's a great question. I don't, I, I would say that. To me, it's the same question as the Shemitah year. It, the core issues undergirding the problem are exactly the same. Well, I mean, I think that the idea we could if if we take that logic, then we could just say that uh, no one should try to observe anything because we don't know what day anything is really on with the Halal calendar two calendar. It could be off. And and there's people who take that position. I know. Exactly. And so and so they can't know. And so the the the, I completely agree with you. And so my point is, is that um, I think that if done out of I think, yes, one person is, in your scenario, one person is obviously right. One person is correct. 
which is the person who does who who observes the Sabbath on the correct day, right? But but the point is is that we can't just say, well, we can't have differing opinions. Everybody has to be on the same page, or else we just shouldn't do anything. In other words, we strive for what we 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 believe, and that comes from a heart issue. And so, yes, is one person right? Yes, one person is right. And are is the other person wrong? Absolutely, the other person is wrong. Does God see the heart of the person and accept that as, as praise? I think yes. But I'm going to guess that that's not where you're coming from. No, that's 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 what I mean. I, I think that even the, even the person who has the right day, their observance is still imperfect. In this in this world, it's still it, it's still imperfect. And why is that? Because because we're sinners, and and it's in it's in we still have the old man. That we we have new we are new creations in Messiah, but we long like Paul says, I long to be clothed with immortality. You know that this death right that this death would be swallowed up by life. That. It doesn't mean he's not. It doesn't mean he's unsure that he's in Messiah. It doesn't mean he doesn't have a genuine walk with the resurrected Messiah. It just means that his life is is still marked with with the fingerprints of the old man. If I say that, and and so it, that that's that's my view. You know that that it's imperfect. It's it's Messiah. It's in Messiah that we have our righteousness. It, uh, it's not in my performance of a work of a commandment perfectly. Sure. I, I agree with you, but I would say that in Christ, we obviously can keep the, uh, the, the commandments perfectly. And this is and why, the, right, right, right. And I this agree. Is, we desire, exactly. this is, this is why the Deuteronomy passage is so important here where, it's, where it yeah. says when you're in the land of your enemies and you do all that I have commanded you today. Right. This is, this is a good point. So then we can it do is all only by, God has it is only by the regeneration of the Holy spirit that we want to do God's commandments for the right reason. It is only in new life in Messiah that we desire to walk in his ways for the right reason, not for motivation to like to earn righteousness or sure. to, 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 I'm going to be part of this group so that I can make that, you know, that other group. But, the, is but wrong that's, the, but I'm that's right. the point is that the Holy spirit empower, empowers us to be able to do the commandments fully and truly. So we are able to do the commandments fully and truly through the through the working of the Holy Spirit. But 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 here's what I'm allowing for. I believe that my Sabbath observance in the kingdom will be more pristine and more accurate and more uh, more graced with the wisdom of of God behind the commandment than it is today. And, And, but yet from God's perspective, I'm not going to be more righteous. It's not that I'm going to be more righteous then than I am now. It's that I'm going to obtain, I'm going to have more wisdom and understanding of the purpose and the implications of the Shabbat commandment that I lack right now. And that, and that lack of my knowledge necessarily is, is an imperfection in my observance. But that imperfection in God's eyes is not, is not a count against me. There's no condemnation, right? For, because we, we are, we have the, we share in Messiah's resurrection. We, we, we are um, redeemed and we are new creations. 
And so it, it's like this. It's like it says Abraham, Abraham tell uh, or God tells Isaac in the one year cycle. We're reading about how uh, Isaac receives all the blessings. Now, God bless Isaac now that Abraham has passed away. But it says he he walked in my ways. He obeyed my voice. He kept my Torah. And, and God is retroactively, right? He's saying, this is what it was in the past because Abraham's dead or he's already died, right? He's alive with the Lord. But I mean, he's, he's telling Isaac this, your father, Abraham, kept my commandments, kept all my commandments and all my Torah, okay? And he also says, I'm going, I am upholding this covenant with you and for your seed after you forever, so God is coming into time and he's projecting righteousness backwards just as much as he's projecting the future. Count the stars if you're able. The idea is that is true and accomplished finally through the light of Messiah Yeshua is the one who, who is the light that, that shines both backwards and forward in time that Abraham had his righteousness. Abraham didn't keep all the commandments of God and then God was pleased. It is reckoned to him all, all of, the, of the goodness of his beloved son, Yeshua, is reckoned to Abraham. Um, but, I would, but we know Abraham was not perfect observant in everything, right? I mean, we, we know uh, that in terms of the, the flesh perspective. That's all I'm getting at. Okay, let's move on. Before right. we uh, before we uh, run out of time, let's talk about. Okay, PJ writes in, "What is being taught as Christian ethics? Is that the purpose of a Christian is not only to repent of person of personal sins, but to be an activist against communal and social sins?" defined as wokeness against the dominant colonizers, injustices that include includes Tanakh injustices versus the oppressed. Is the purpose of the ecclesia to save the world by social activism that requires a critical race theory worldview? This is what is being taught and or debated today. Yeah, this wow. is a huge topic. Um, this has plagued the Southern Baptist Convention for the past several years. Um, it still plagues the Southern Baptist Convention. In fact, it looks to me, and I could be wrong, but it looks to me like we're going to see a, a rather large split among the Southern Baptist um, Convention and uh, on this issue uh, predominantly. So if you, Caleb, if you just said, what are the two sides? Like, in, how, how would you, if you were to sketch out each side of the split? Yeah, so I actually pulled a... Uh, a, a quote from Prudence Carter, who's a professor at uh, Berkeley. She teaches education at Ber Berkeley. And, she, and uh, I have a minute-long clip of her defining critical race theory. However, um, what I see within the Southern Baptist Convention is probably a little bit of a hybrid of what I consider to be critical race theory. Critical race theory starts in the 80s. It is a morphation of what I see as Marxism, the idea that everything is broken up into class systems. And basically within uh, critical race theory, the way that I see it, I know that there are different definitions. But the way that I see it is that the class system within critical race theory says that there is the oppressed and there is the oppressor. 
And ultimately, this uh, critical race theory is actually talking about a political agenda and the political realm of the United States and that laws are inherently racist because the oppressor system has put those laws in place and they've put them in place over the oppressor as opposed, which is now we and and now we break these into races. So the oppressor is the white race and the oppressee is the black race. And this is how you get critical race theory. What has happened is that this uh, Marxist notion uh, has come into the political realm and then ultimately it has bled over into social uh, aspects as well, which inevitably has hit the church. And so what you have is you have people within the Southern Baptist Convention. Um, there are predominant teachers and well-known pastors in the Southern Baptist Convention who have openly said, uh, you know, uh, if you're white and you're in this church, you may not know it, but you're a racist. You're, and you're a, Ouch, and, really? And, yeah, oh. and you have, you have predominant Southern Baptist preachers, good Southern Baptist preachers, by the way. And when I say good, I mean... Uh, I've listened to them and gained from their sermons that have come out and said, I'm a racist. I didn't realize I was a racist, but I'm a racist. And uh, and so now, you know, I, I'm apologizing for the sin of racism and all these kind of things. Well, ultimately, I think that um, this has huge implications. Number one, it is a distraction from the true gospel. Paul talks about this numerously. Actually, um, I just learned from uh, in my in one of my classes uh, and Honestly, when this curtain was kind of pulled back on the book, it was on the book of Jonah, I just kind of did an aha. And it's the idea that Jonah actually is going to Nineveh in, in I think it's Second Kings. Um, it talks about Jonah prophesying good over Israel, who was idolatrous and all these things. And he has no problem doing that. But then when you look in the book of Jonah, he doesn't want to go to Nineveh. Why doesn't he want to go to Nineveh? Because that's Assyrian. And so it's almost that he doesn't, he, he wants Israel to be saved, but he doesn't want the Assyrians to be saved. And so we see this actually translate into the apostolic scriptures as well. Paul talks about the, the notion that there is no longer Jew or Greek in the eyes of God. In other words, we are all saved the same way. We are all one in, in the body. And what, uh, what I see as, a, as the critical race theory coming into the church is a denial of the idea that we are all one in Christ. Vadi Bakum has done unbelievable work on this, and he has written a book called Fault Lines. Um, and it's it, it, I can't recommend that enough. I've only uh, skimmed the, the first half of that book, but uh, it is Vadi Bakum. I've watched uh, numerous lectures that he's done on this on this uh, topic as well, and he has hit the nail right on the head. Uh, critical race theory is divisive for multiple reasons. First of all, we are not in a class system if we're in the church. Now, I know what people are going to say, and we can talk about the idea of political uh, activism within w concerning race in our nation. Is it true that that uh, this nation has has had racism as a part of its history? Absolutely, and we even see. Uh, certain uh, laws that have been put up because of racism. The Jim Crow laws are obviously a, a, a go-to for anyone who wants to talk about racism within our nation. Do we still see that today? I think that the pendulum has swung a bit. And now I'm not, you know, I'm not a person of color. And so I understand that people are going to say, well, maybe you think that, but I don't think that. Okay, that's fair. I don't know. I don't understand the oppression that someone who uh, is in this nation might might feel. However, with that said, I know that there are white kids now. Ibram X. Kendi has actually tweeted this recently in the past week that there are white kids who are now putting on their college applications that they're of color. 
Why are they doing that? Well, I would say that they're doing it because they're, the pendulum has swung so far now. If you are a person... It's the same uh, reason Elizabeth Warren said she was Native American. There might be she some was, she, mental illness there, but yes, she I She was agree. reckoned as like one of the first uh, women of color to like the Harvard Law Review or whatever. Right. And she has like one twelve hundred and something of, if that, you know, and it's... The, the, yeah, the, there's advantage. There is yeah, the, there is institutional advantage. Yeah, the 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 idea that the idea that a that uh, a person would be and this goes either way. By the way, this goes either way. Whether a person would be chosen uh, to enter and take classes at a college because they're white is, in my opinion, horrendous. But on the flip side of that coin, the fact that a person would be entered into college because they are black is also as egregious and the reason why is because a person should be uh, chosen on the merit of of their ability now with that said the response to that and it's a good response is going to be that uh african-american children black children in in america today are at a disadvantage because the institution has kept them down and they go to schools that are not as good they're not as well funded so on and so forth i believe that there are uh that there could be truth to this and because of this, we have seen laws go the other way. So we have seen laws that have tried to help people in the inner city who are not with as much, uh, that don't have as much opportunity, try to get some advantage. Okay, with all of that said, all of that said, politics is not what, what I actually want to talk about because I could care less about American politics when it comes to this conversation. What we really need to talk about is the church. And the fact of the matter is, is that in Colossians 3, 11, Paul tells us that here, there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither Scythian nor right. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. There's neither free nor. He's got to train them to stop their prejudice. It, it impl- the very fact that Paul needs to make these points is that he's dealing with people who have been like, "Oh, we are we're Jews and we're good. You're Samaritan, therefore you're suspicious. You're a Cretan, therefore you're suspicious. You're a Roman, therefore da 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 da." And Paul's like, you're a Greek, therefore, that, that he's like, we have to, in the church, in Messiah, those labels, I, those have got to go. That, that's not how we judge. It's individuals. But here's, individual here's the other, here's, Messiah. I agree with you completely. Here's the other flip side of that coin, though, is that this conversation about race and about whether or not a person is advantaged or better or anything like that has been going on since before Paul came on the scene. In Absolutely. other words, yeah. Israel has been dealing with this, and we see this in Jonah too. Israel has been dealing with this since since forever. Well, why did Why did Miriam and Aaron speak against Moses? Right, right. Yeah, you, exactly. Your wife is, you know, she's a Cushite or Ethiopian. Right, right, right. And what did the Lord do? He he, you know, Miriam was put out of the camp. She had leprosy for you know a week. See, but but the the problem that you the other problem that you have is you have people who have, who have felt oppressed, and this is the only worldview that they have. And I would I would posit that someone like Ibram X. Kendi is actually one of these people. Now I actually feel a little bit bad for Kendi, and the reason why is because I feel like uh, Kendi's worldview is I am oppressed, and everything that happens is because of oppression. There's and and I don't know what it would be like to live with that worldview in mind. Right, he believe right, he believes. He but believes but that, but right. Kendi has and I watched something from him uh this morning. Kendi straight out says it doesn't matter what your race is. You can be and probably are a racist. Like there are black people he who got are racist. He paid 20,000 dollars 
to to speak to like the Virginia school board. Right. For one talk, 20 grand. So he's benefiting financially from his worldview. This is there's a payoff for him in taking this stance. Now, I just now, saying here, here's the thing is that is that uh, one of the reasons that I think that this is actually affecting the, the Southern Baptist Convention so strongly is because the Southern Baptist Convention never renounced slavery. In fact, I think that the Southern Baptist Convention for a long time upheld slavery um, and the notion of segregation. Oh, I didn't know that. Wow. And, and really? This is, this is why my grandfather was not a Southern Baptist, at least one of the reasons why my father, my grandfather was not a Southern Baptist. He was known as, one, as what is known as the regular Baptist. The regular Baptists did oppose slavery. Anyway, the point here is that, uh, is that the Southern Baptist Convention has a history that is, is not playing well with with what they're right i mean it's not playing well so then so in that if that's true then this split is needs to happen that this issue needs to come out and and the, there needs to be a well there's, there's there's several things that that i think are important to note here first of all just we cannot say that a person is inherently racist we have to say that we have to put it on the merit of what that person has done and and has said if a it doesn't matter what race you are, if you're a black person and you hate white people, that's racism. If you're a white person and hate black people, that's racism. If you're a white person who hates, hates Asian people, that is racism. But so racism, according to the Bible, is always bad. We should not we should not uh, involve ourselves in any kind of racism whatsoever. But the notion that people are inherently racist also, I mean. Uh, and you know what? Maybe there is some truth to the to the notion that every human is inherently sinful. But but the point is is that we have to act upon what the Bible says and how the Bible says to act. And as soon as, in my opinion, it doesn't matter if you're talking about critical race theory. It doesn't matter if you're talking about racism. It doesn't matter what you're talking about. If you are attempting to structure things outside of the worldview of the Bible and how the world and how the world is seen through the Bible, then we have major problems. And anytime you try to build the church upon a, a system and a theology that is not found in the Bible, we have major problems. And so ultimately, I think that the church needs to build itself on what the Bible says. And constantly. So here, here, this is great. This is such a great point. It does tie back into our Shemitah or the Sabbath or any commandment, because we could we could say that if if it's true that the convention will split, both sides are going to see that they are grounded in what is true, right? I mean, it's not going to be like, oh, I'm wrong, but I'm splitting. Right. It's going to be I'm right and I'm splitting. Right. On both sides. This is, you know, this is part of our, uh, you know, part of being in this world. And Lee, Lee in the chat room, I love it. I'm inherently racist. The human race is depraved. <laughs> exactly. And this is, I mean, this is ultimately what Vadi Bakum says. Vadi Bakum says there's one race. It's the human race, and we're it's, all sinners. And right. this is the this is the point. And the the uh, the the uh, answer to this is not for us to say, oh, I'm a racist. And I need to apologize for being racist. The answer to this is, I am a sinner. I need Christ. That is the answer to it. 
So the notion that the that the uh, all these people are bringing forward that are saying, oh, everybody's a racist, everybody needs it, you know, your kids don't realize it, but they're racist, and you don't want them to grow up to be, you know, racist like this, this, and this. No, what we need to do is give our children the Bible, right, and show how Yeshua is the incarnate God who shows perfect love. Yes, Yeshua's up there at the at the well of Jacob talking with the Samaritan woman, right, <laughs> and she's like. Jew, you, you know, Jews don't deal with Samaritans. Like you're breaking all the rules. Like <laughs> you're like, we don't do this. And then, and, and so, but it didn't stop him. But then you have someone like Peter who needs this dream to get him, get a kick in the rear because otherwise he wouldn't go up to see Cornelius. So, so this is, we, you know, the Lord is patient with us, you know, and he, he disciplines us and raises us up so that we're more and more like Yeshua. Right. So that we learn what perfect love is and that perfect love, is about souls. It's not never judging anybody by their gender, by their color of their skin, by their background, by their language, none of that. And uh, yeah, and it, it would be great if Ibram Kendi, you know, those people would grasp that core of the gospel of who Yeshua is. And then it would solve all their little problems that they're trying to solve would just be like resolved. They're like, right. oh, oh, right. It's like the lights could come on. And they could say, okay, I, I had this sense of injustice, but I was totally, totally misunderstanding what, what it was. Right. <clears throat> well, um, I don't know if we'll have people, you know, maybe we're talking into an echo chamber here. I don't know. But at the same time, echo, maybe we're echo, not. 253-465-3205. If you disagree with us on anything that we've said today, feel free to give us a call. It's an answering machine. You'll just talk to that answering machine. You can tell us how much you love us, hate us, whatever you want. Um, and then also chag at torahresource.com is the email address chag at torahresource.com. All right. Uh, we will be back next week, and then uh, the week after that we'll have a week off. Uh, but, uh, yeah, we'll be back next week. We hope that this conversation has done at least one thing, and that is to glorify our great God and Savior, Yeshua the Messiah. Why? You know why. Because Messiah matters. Messiah matters.